Hi, great to be with you. I'm Justin Dye, Chairman and CEO of Schwaz. We are a vertically integrated cannabis company uh, with a deep regional focus in Colorado, as well as New Mexico. Uh, we're number one in Colorado and quickly becoming uh, number one in New Mexico as well in terms of size. Uh, our strategy is differentiated in that our plan is to go very deep with retail, with a large set of retail stores within those states, uh, with very good locations that can really cover uh, the consumer and the patient base. And then we build the corresponding supply chain, manufacturing, cultivation, distribution, and our house of brands to really support that. But really first and foremost, what we wanna do is establish a terrific distribution network because that's where brands are made. And um, we're set up very well, we're doing well, and uh, excited to be here with you today. Justin, good to see you again, sir. Um, well, look, thanks for coming on the show. And I, I think we might just start with the kind of Q2 numbers. And I, I know you may have been talking about them for a few days now. Um, but just, just give, give if you could just give me the kind of key numbers that you think are important that we should be looking at. Because the thing I actually want to get into is the the brand versus retail component, which you kind of uh, alluded to there. So, top line numbers, you pleased? You know, I think I think our team did a really nice job delivering uh, delivering the quarter, and we're I think the team will continue to do that. Uh, our our strategy is set up. We're executing, we're continuing to improve, drive efficiencies in the business. And most importantly, we're winning with the customer, uh, the consumer. So we're seeing that we're beating uh, state averages in terms of sales growth uh, considerably. This last, this last quarter, we outgrew the state of Colorado by 12% which is our, you know, our kind of our, um, our oldest market. So we're super excited about that. Numbers, uh, we did $44.3 million in revenue this last quarter. That was up 44% from prior year, where we did $30.7 million in the same quarter in 2021. Uh, EBITDA was $15 million, and that represents 33.9% of sales. So uh, a very profitable business in its entirety. And that compared that $15 million was a 50% growth over $10 million last year. Some highlights here, retail, our retail stores uh, represented uh, over 85% of our sales and they were up 77%, which uh, in, a, in, a, in a tough Colorado climate where we're seeing the business starting to kind of normalize to pre-COVID norms. We're still above pre-COVID, but we're starting to see that settle. I think that was uh, well done by our team. Gross margins up, profitability is going up 69%. Uh, we generated $33.8 million of net income. Uh, if you look at our two-year stacked uh, comparable. So if we look at sales this year versus sales the last two years ago, uh, that enc encompasses COVID, et cetera. We're still up 1.8% uh, from the COVID bump. So uh, we think that's pretty good performance. And then also basket is fairly constant. So still about a $60 basket, which is per customer visit, what, you know, what, the, uh, what the invoice is. And then on the visit side, we're off slightly, about 8.9% uh, where, where we saw 444,000 uh, unique customers uh, within our stores. Uh, the other piece of it, 
is we've added New Mexico. We're very pleased with our New Mexico um, acquisition that we did. We closed in February of this year. And if you look at their numbers, they're up 41% versus prior year, the retail stores. And the one year, that's a two-year stack comp, 44, or sorry, 41%, and 30% on the uh, year one. So uh, really, you take both of them. In Colorado, we're continuing to grow our retail store base, continuing to introduce new innovative products to our consumers, but also putting that in the wholesale business and selling those uh, to other retailers in the state. And then on the New Mexico side, we have a number of new stores that we're opening. Uh, some have uh, some have been discussed and uh, some are still on their way. So we believe there's a great opportunity to grow uh, in both states. And just to remind you, Matthew, there's 650 uh, adult use stores in Colorado. We have 23. We still have an incredible amount of runway to grow within the state of Colorado. And we believe with our size, scale, efficiencies, and really how we connect with our customer. And we have a tremendous loyalty program and we take great care of our consumers. Uh, we believe we'll be set up to win as well as taking care of our wholesale customers. So we think we're positioned well, a lot more to do. We're, uh, we're part of the way there. There's opportunities to get better across the board and we're certainly gonna expect to do that. Wow. Okay. A lot, a lot to consume there. So a lot of good numbers. Um, basically, you've, you've had a good quarter and year on year numbers um, up across the board. Good stuff. I, I'm trying, what I want to try and understand, what I want to help, uh, you know, the listeners, viewers um, understand better is the business model, right? Because you, you said that 85% of sales uh, revenues coming from uh, stores, so like a physical bricks and mortar store. I mean, is that what you want? I mean, surely online is going to be the better way in terms of increasing those margins. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about that. That's Our strategy is nuanced and, and it's probably different than a majority, probably a vast majority of cannabis companies in the United States. We've taken, uh, we've taken the position of we are going to be really strong with physical four wall stores in great locations, with great displays, with great customer service, bright, uh, fully stocked with the highest quality products offering the consumer and the patient the broadest set of assortment as possible. That's what we go. We service assortment and quality. That's what we want to go do. We have 23 stores. We think we can get to 100 stores in Colorado. And you start with the stores. And same thing in New Mexico. So we care, we have great supplier partners. We carry uh, third party suppliers in our stores, flour, vapes, pre-rolls, edibles, topicals, sublinguals, et cetera. We partner with them. And then we look and see where there's opportunity uh, where a certain a need is not being met. And we'll start, we'll create our own product such as Purple Bees, which is our vape cartridge brand that has already get garnered 30% of the shelf space and sales in our stores after really launching it late last year. So demonstrating being able to take a branded product, take it to market and show immediate success. It's high quality, it's it's uh, value oriented. So it's high quality at a great value and consumers love it. So the ability to do that, but the, the nuance is you start with retail stores. That's where brands are made. I want to have retail distribution capabilities and really set the tone there. Then you have the opportunity 
you know, we want to be 30% of our own products in our stores. I think we want to carry a wide assortment versus some of our competition who want, who want to carry 100% of their produced products within their store. I don't think that gives the consumer and the patient enough enough assortment, enough variety in what they want. I don't think we can be on top of every single category uh, as well as someone who's doing it day in, day out and is hyper-focused on it. So it, it comes back to what's best for the customer, what's best for the patient. And we believe once we get the store the store distribution channel built, uh, that puts a really strong moat around this business. And then we can we can continue to bring in new products from other suppliers, et cetera. But to be crystal clear, the punchline of this is a branded product is made on that shelf in that store sold by that bud tender. And if I can't get that product on the shelf, I can't create a brand and I got to have depth and I got to have marketing horsepower behind it. So you're saying and it's and it's proving out. It, it, is, it is proving out, but I'm I'm just wondering in terms of the the 15, which presumably is the is the online component. Um, what's the what's the difference in 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 margins? You know, how do you say? Well, actually, um, we will in, invest a little bit more money in that, but maybe not now. Is that, is that what it is? I, I, hear, you, yeah. I hear I hear. Yeah. So, I mean, e-commerce. Uh, so let's talk about what is omni-channel. Omni-channel is meet the customer uh, the way they want to be met. So if they want to buy online and place an order in advance and come pick it up at the store, they can do that. If they want to place an order online and have it delivered uh, next day, they will have the ability to do that. If they want to place the order and have it delivered in the same day, they need to order that in the morning before 12 or one o'clock cutoff. Uh, if they want to come in and shop uh, within the store, they can do that as well. What we have found is people still like to come into the stores and inspect the flower. They like to look at it. Uh, they want to see it. It's a little bit harder to do online. I think e-commerce and omni-channel is going to be very important to us but I think it's gonna be a smaller part of the business. And today it's a fraction of our business today, but we're doing the right things there. We're investing in uh, the last mile uh, partnerships to get, to get orders to our consumers. But I would tell you it's very early days, particularly in Colorado, and it's almost non-existent in New Mexico. So we wanna take a, let's go where the customer wants us to go and follow their lead. But I would tell you, most of the business right now is within the four walls. And uh, we'll see a little bit of that transfer to online, but I think you gotta have, be really strong with a store base for a long time. And those serve as your distribution points for those e-commerce uh, deliveries. That, okay, so this is the Albertsons know-how. Because where it's going with this is, we see a lot of these, um, celebrity endorsed products out there they're on instagram they're on facebook they're they're, they're there and they, they seem to attract very um decent multiples in terms of valuations um so you, is there anything wrong with their model or is it just something that you've chosen not to do or do you think yours is more sustainable in some way you know i i i think it's more sustainable to build a brand and really build scale and get market share within a state each state has its own ecosystem. You're not, you don't have cross-border, cross-state line, at least legally, uh, 
commerce. You don't. And I don't see that happening for a long time because follow the money. Tax revenue dollars are want to stay in that state. The local jurisdictions, the state, they need that revenue for, for education, for roads, for mental health programs, et cetera. They're not just going to give that business up and that revenue stream away from other states, point one. Point two is when you get deep in that state, that's how you drive brand equity. That's how you brand, drive loyalty. But you know, a, a celebrity uh, product that is that is uh, dropped in a bunch of different states without any real go-to-market strategy, without significant marketing funds behind it, and with sort of stick-to-itiveness to say, this is going to be a three to five-year deal, and we're going to have to invest in the brand and the product, the SOPs, that takes, that takes patience and it takes know-how. So I think our model, uh, you know, there's going to be some of those guys that are going to do fine. I think our model, we know we've got retail. I know I can get products on our shelves. I know we can back up those products with marketing and great talent and service in our stores. And I can partner with really great branded products to get them in there if they partner with us and build those brands for them. But they need, you know, right now the branded guys need Retail more than retail needs the branded product, guys, to be totally transparent. In my opinion, so, uh, that, that's interesting because because there's a there's a the phrase in um, you know natural resource investors will understand this. Uh, he who controls the the, the the mill controls the district. So, to, in some sense, if you've got the bricks and mortar, if you've got the physical building, the shelf space, are you, you you're in control of that conversation? You're in control of the the margins that get get allocated or shared out? I mean, how, how does that conversation work? That's uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. That's exactly what I'm saying. You've got you to provide promotional funds to get on the shelves to go build your brand. And if you're successful doing that, you're going to, you know, your company is going to be worth a lot of money. That brand is going to drive uh, loyalty and equity and it's going to be worth worth quite a bit. But if you're not willing to do that, that's a challenge for you. And I would tell you, there's been a number of companies that have come to Colorado and that are coming to New Mexico that have come out of other states. Some have been successful. The ones that have been successful have said, this is a long, this is a long game and we're going to have to continue to put the marketing funds behind it, the vendor funds, the promotional funds, uh, boots on the street, and we're going to have to do this the right way for this to stick. You can't come in, launch a product, and say, okay, I'm in 300 doors, and then not continue to come after product innovation and more promotional funds and really partnering with large retailers to go get, you know, to go get shelf space and to drive the category and drive share growth. So it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart. So uh, I think I see cases on both sides. Folks have been successful that have come in and said, you know what, we're here, we're here to stay, and we're going to back this, and we're focused on it. And then folks that have come in and said, hey, I want, I want to say that I'm selling to in 30 states, and they're about that deep in terms of store penetration, and that doesn't work very well. Okay, hopes and aspirations versus planning. Yeah, uh, always a good one. Um, so if you're if you're aiming for a hundred stores, uh, sorry, but let me ask this because you said something that I think I understood it, which is the, some of these brands will need to pay you to promote their own brands, or do they need to give you money to be in your stores? Is that what you're saying, as well as taking a market cut on the 
each sale or transaction. Yeah. So we wow. are okay. we, we we're at, we are what's called a high low promoter. Our model is we we have very high quality products in our stores. Uh, they are they are a certain price, and then we will take in, at a good value, and then we will pulse. Meaning we will go partner with supplier A and say, okay, uh, we want a dollar off a case and we're going to go drop that dollar off, pass it on to the consumer, and we're going to drive more volume of your product because price elasticity. Mm. And we're going to go drive that for a week, a month, a quarter, what have you to really drive, drive the tonnage, right? So drive more units. And when we do that, we met, we've got a good, we've, we've invested in analytics so we can tell you what's happened. So if I've, in, so if I've promoted item A and their competitor is B, C, and D in that category, whether it be edibles, whether it be vapes, what have you, we can then come back and show them, did the category grow? Because what you don't want to do is say, hey, okay, A, you guys did great. And yes, uh, your competitors B and C and D went down because everybody bought your product. What you really want to see is that 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 one they've out they've outperformed them, but also they brought the category up because they brought more attention to it, more facings, bigger promotions. So that's the way that works. So when I when you say pay for us, no, they would invest. They would invest what I would call uh, dollars for shopper marketing. So shopper marketing is a very uh, familiar term in in uh, pharmacy, in grocery retail, etc. And shopper marketing dollars typically help the retailer go promote those dollars to the consumer, and that typically is in a different investment basket within the consumer packaged goods company versus what I would call kind of trade funds that are tied to the brand manager, the product manager who runs that. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, no, no it totally makes sense. And th thanks, thanks for the education on that one. And so your, your target that you mentioned earlier was potentially 100 stores up, up from where you are. It's like four, four times where you are now today. And that gave you potentially like just over a sixth of, uh, just under a sixth of the market um, place. What, what, What's the, what are the risks associated with that? From your Albertsons days, I, I get all the marketing know-how and, and a kind of very, very um, clever analysis of it, but what's the risk to you of being um, in, in the state of focusing that much attention in one state of Colorado? I know you've got New Mexico elsewhere, but is that a, a, a risk worth having um, or are you got some degree of satisfaction from the state of Colorado that they are behind the, 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 the medicinal and the rack side of um, cannabis? Well, let, let's talk about that for a minute. So one, I, I really see Colorado as being the most sophisticated, uh, most sophisticated market in the country. Uh, certainly California is the largest and is, a, is, a, is an interesting market on its own. But I think if you look at the regulatory fabric in Colorado and the partnership with enforcement uh, with regards to, you know, it really enforcing the rules and making sure the gray and black market are kept under under wraps, et cetera. I think Colorado's done a really nice job. Dan Pabone, who's our general counsel and head of government affairs, he wrote most of those regs when he was in the uh, Colorado State House. 
and got that rolled out. So he's got really great perspective on that. So when you think about it that way, it's the big leagues. We want to we want to win in the big leagues. It's the most competitive. Uh, our consumers are the most sophisticated, the most demanding. They require absolutely top caliber products at a good value. And they expect you to know what the hell you're talking about when you're talking about a sativa or a hybrid or um, vape, or if you're talking about live resin, they expect everybody that is waiting on them to understand that. So uh, the bar's high, the bar's high. So I don't see much risk with us continuing to uh, continue to be number one in that state. Now you could argue if you don't do good, smart real estate, new locations, uh, maybe some of those stores underperform, or maybe you get too close to some of your stores and you cannibalize them. So you steal some business from your other stores by being uh, adjacent or within two to three miles of that. A little bit of cannibalization in my mind is good because it means we're really covering the neighborhoods that we want to be covering. Those are, you know, those are sort of the downside. I mean, you certainly have the one state risk, but now we've hedged that with New Mexico. We're going to continue to look at the next couple of states in the region. So, you know, you've got, you know, you, you, you've hedged your markets and what's going on with the consumer in those markets. But uh, I think it's, I think, you know, cannabis isn't going anywhere. It's going to get legalized. It's a matter of when. And uh, the good news is we're going to continue to build our position um, in advance of that. And we're going to do well in advance of that. We don't need we don't need federal legalization for us to do well and our shareholders to do well. And we're going to generate free cash flow for the year. Uh, I really, you know, our plans suggest that. So we're generating free cash flow before any acquisitions that we do. So uh, we're in really good shape. Got a good balance sheet. Uh, I think we're going to win, win big in Colorado and New Mexico. Okay. So um, legal risk, de minimis, you, it's the, the, the state understands and there's legislature, legislature behind this. You're comfortable there. This is all about getting it right from the retail front, hence the big Albertsons team that you've uh, you know put back together, the team are back together. But here's, here's the question. You can't help but fail look around uh, at the various economies around the world and various economies uh, you know in the US state state by state and even in Colorado people are hurting you know there's um there's real pain out there how's and i get the q2 numbers are up year on year but it's it, that's all relative are there any signs or any indications that people are going to going to spend less buy cheaper smaller margin products or do you think that the the there's a there's a sort of defensible portfolio there that you've kind of put together yeah you know great that's a that's a very thoughtful question so i i think the category if you go through COVID and you go through what we've been through the last several years uh if anything cannabis has shown it's recession resilient doesn't mean it's unaffected but it's certainly resilient and what we what we're seeing and we're watching closely is how many grams of our top connoisseur shell flower we selling versus our select. And, you know, we have four tiers and we're, and we're watching that very closely. And you're certainly seeing people that, you know, instead of buying, you know, an ounce, you know, on the connoisseur shell for $350 an ounce, they may be trading down to, you know, a hundred dollars an ounce um, or $99 or $99 an ounce uh, when we're running promotions, we're seeing a little bit of that, 
But I would tell you the category continues to get the frequency uh, that we're seeing. And what's really encouraging, I had I had a couple of our investors go to a handful of our stores in Colorado, and both of them walked away and said, I can't believe, I cannot believe that the, uh, you know, the cohorts, uh, the types of people that are coming in your store, you have, you have men, you have women, you have 80, 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, late twenties. You got manual laborers, construction workers, you have retirees, you have moms and Lululemon that are running errands and they pull in a very nice German vehicle and they're running in and getting edibles. And you're seeing businessmen come in in suits. I, I mean, you see them come in. Uh, it's it's uh, the category, the stigma is wearing off. It's wearing off quickly. In my conversation socially, I can tell you my friend base all over the country that when we see them, it is it was something we didn't talk about three years ago. Now it's, hey, I really like, you know, X amount or I like this gummy or, hey, I like this topical, you know. And when you start thinking about pain, anxiety, uh, just relaxation and chilling out and, you know, there's not a physical addiction to this. And frankly, I think this is a I think it's something that could certainly chip away at the opioid issue that we've got in this country. And. You know, you look at all the fentanyl coming across from China and from Mexico that's getting laced in, you know, street weed, et cetera. That should really concern people. And I think they're going to find a safer source because ours is tested. We advocate for tighter testing requirements for all these products. We want them to be safe. We don't want them to get in the hands of children. Uh, you got to be an adult. If On the medical side, you got to have a uh, doctor's order. And we're in the compliance business, Matthew, and that is so, so important. And we want to do things the absolute right way. Uh, we're not perfect uh, in operations. We're not perfect in everything we want to try to go get done. But I tell you, we're hustling. Uh, the, the, the level, the expectation is high, and we have no tolerance for lack of compliance. And that and investors ought to care about that, in my opinion. Absolutely, absolutely, because that could be a showstopper if you if you weren't. But no, what what intrigues me is the is the kind of falling away of, of this of the stigma because there was you know most people have been brought up that way to feel that, that there's something wrong with it. But um, you know to have the you know yummy mummies uh, and the you know workmen and the old and the young, it's kind of it's interesting that kind of I didn't expect to hear that sort of broad range of consumer. Um, coming into this into the store, um, you know, for different and I guess different different use cases there. So is the just very quickly quickly on the on the brand coming back to the brand stuff. You talk about having you know your own multiple brands and you're being quite acquisitive um, on that front, and then as well as having other brands um, out there. Do you, is there kind of um, education process that is required for all these new? customer profiles, because it seems like I, I'm kind of quite overwhelmed by the use cases and the brands and the, and the, and the, and the um, ways that you can consume or ingest, certainly on the rec side, um, medicinal is probably a little bit easier to understand. We have a, we have a, I think a, a very accomplished training program. You've got to continue to take it up and improve it, get better. But talking with, you know, talking with a, let's just pick a 25 year old male, who is, uh, you know, is out working um, and has been in the category for a long time. 
they're typically going to know what they want and um, whether they're an OG or they just simply they're a, you know, they're a, 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 a consistent user, they're really, you, you, you know, you're going to talk with them a little differently than you are with, um, you know, my wife coming in that's 46 years old who uh, went to a party and had some, uh, had a part of a gummy, really liked it little intimidated to come into the store, doesn't know what she's asking for. And you've got to be able to tailor that conversation for what she's looking for. Or, you know, you know, if my grandmother comes in and has hip pain, back pain, trouble sleeping, you know, we might give her a, uh, we might choose to say, Hey, here's a gummy with some CBN that will help you, will help you sleep a little bit better. Uh, you'll wake up clear as a bell but you'll sleep better and your pain will be better. So I think having those conversations, uh, uh, they're nuanced, they're different. And that's the, that's the thing that we've got to create consistency around. We got to continue to get better at because you're going to have more and more consumers coming in and they're all coming from a different, uh, from a different perspective and from a different need perspective. So I worry a lot about that, making sure we're really keeping up with the voice of the customer and that is something you got to work at every single day. And, um, you know, I think you, you can't ever be too good at that. So, you know, those are the things we got to work at. But uh, you're seeing a lot broader cohorts coming into the stores, no doubt about it. Okay. And just on, just on the business front, obviously, uh, re- revenue's up, margins up, numbers up. Um, part of that is obviously cost, c- cost control, right? Um, with Things like cultivation and manufacturing, and you know, please excuse this phrase, but in a way, that's kind of the the the, the admin, it's the back of house stuff. Um, retailers, your front facing, your bricks and mortars, where where people view your brands. Um, is the idea to continue to have the cultivation and manufacturing component to be able to control your your costs or, or you know maintain the quality? Or at some point, would you look to, you know, go to an outsource model? Let's let's take each one of those separately. So if you look at, uh, let's talk about manufacturing. So we're one of the largest distillate manufacturers in the state of Colorado. We soon will be in New Mexico as well. So we convert biomass into basically distillate. That's like a honey substance with 90% THC that is infused into vape cartridges, into edibles. And we sell that to the supplier who's the CPG company, who's then going to create their product. They're going to put packaging around it, put their marketing around it, and then sell it back into the stores. So with that area, we're very committed to, we think that's really important. We have a very nice business there. It's very efficient. Uh, We've continued to take out cost and drive efficiencies there. You know, we've taken well, I won't tell you the exact number, but it's it's well north of 50% of our costs have been reduced um, since we've been working on this in the last year using Six Sigma and lean manufacturing. Good old fashioned, hey, single piece flow, how do we get rid of WIP, uh, demand planning, and really figuring out what we got to build, how much we got to produce, and doing it as efficiently as we can. So uh, the product doesn't travel all around the building. It's very efficient. 
And we obviously look at quality so we don't have to go rework product. And we just look at all the defects. We go work on those defects and get it to, you know, get it to where we want it to be. And then we move on to the next thing and teaching metrics and how we stay in front of that. We want to be the most efficient distillate manufacturer uh, in the areas of where we operate. And uh, uh, we're working on that. And I think we've achieved that, but there's more, more to go. Uh, on the manufacturing side, with regards to our own products, we're going to be flexible. So today we produce our own uh, Purple Bees vape cartridges. We have an all-in-one and we also just have a, uh, we have an all-in-one and then we also have cartridges and we produce those ourselves and we're pretty efficient doing that. Uh, could we have other products that we would put our brand Purple Bees on and have someone else manufacture them? In a, on a white label basis, if it's more efficient and it's uh, from a quality perspective, meets our quality perspective, uh, we would certainly do that. On the growing side, um, we want to grow 40 to 50% of our own product, Matthew. Uh, I don't want to grow any more than that because I think that's a great hedge where we've got internal supply, uh, but we don't have to deploy too much capital to that and we can still go out and partner with these with wonderful growers who have nuanced genetics that um, you know that the consumer wants and we get the best of the best of some of the best growers these small batch growers and bring that in our store and it's exciting consumers seem something that they're looking for and give them that assortment when you walk in some of our stores and you see 80 to 90 strains of really high quality flour on different tiers, it blows your brains out. And you're like, this is amazing. I, 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 you know, a lot of places I can only get six to eight strains. So you get excited and it's, and it's full. It's in these big barrels and the, and the buds are huge. You're like, that is unbelievable quality. That's what we want. Yeah. Okay. I, I understood. It's, you know what I mean? Cause I think so as, as companies evolve, the, the, the model changes, um, you know, markets change too and opportunities present themselves. So I just wondered what the kind of the, the current thinking was. Um, but I think, I think to summarize it, a hedged strategy, we right. won't have to, we don't have, we don't want to be all things to all people. We will produce some of our products, CBG products, not all of them. And we will still bring in probably a vast majority of CPG items from supplier partners uh, because that's what the customer wants. And our job is to give the customer what they want, where they want it, when they want it. The other part of it is on the growing side, we want enough capability that we've got, you know, we can do some unique things from a branded flower standpoint. We've got a good base of biomass for our distillate business that keeps us in business. And that's just a great hedging strategy. So you don't have problems finding product. Uh, you've got a natural hedge against inflation. If, uh, if you were 100% outsourced, you could get, you know, folks coming to you with biomass prices that are too high and, and price you out of where you want to be from a target cost perspective. Okay. And then final one, which I guess is, I guess is a big one, right? Which has been the case for, well, long since before you, you, you guys came along, which is obviously people looking towards the U.S. to open up to medicinal and recreational use of cannabis. Some states are more advanced than others and others are more resistant than others. Um, you're obviously honed in on, on, on Colorado, you know, over 2 billion of sales in 2021, um, all, all good stuff. Um, but what's holding 
you back. You know, the you you you've been acquisitive. You are making money quarter after quarter. You're showing good increase in in uh, revenues and all sorts of the metrics that you that you and you obviously run a tight ship. And I buy the bricks and mortar model. You need retail is a is a big part of building these brands. And I know it's early days, but you, you, you know you're 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 on that road. But institutionally, you know. People aren't they? They aren't getting into this yet. What are, what are they nervous about? What do they need to see either from the state of Colorado or federally? Well, I think you know you're not going to have the big um, mutual fund, the big institutional investors, because a lot of their you know their relationships with their their limited partners or with their investor base, they can't participate in a business that's deemed illegal, and on a federal basis. Um, you know, it's a Schedule One drug. Cannabis is. It shouldn't be. It's crazy. It is. Uh, that will change. So the big, the big pile of institutional capital. There's a wall of capital that's sitting there on the sidelines that cannot invest. Um, and that's you know. We're waiting are you for talking to day. them though? Are you talking? Do they want to invest? Are they talking to you to make sure they're up to speed with when something does change? I mean. We are yes. The right. answer is yes. Okay. Uh, the answer is yes. They have you know even institutions that can't some of the bulge bracket banks that can't cover the sector. They have people that are starting to develop their thesis of who the winners, what it's shaped. So if and when it comes, they're going to be ready to go. And I know a couple of banks that are ready to do that, and they pick my brain all the time. And um, you know I said we'd love we'd love to have you cover us, and I understand you can't right now, but when you do. Um, we'd love to try to figure out if we could borrow money, go, go float some bonds, uh, give me a lower cost of capital to go do that. Um, so we're working on that, you know, and I would tell you, you look at some really terrific companies that are in the alcohol beverage space, uh, even in big tobacco, uh, pharma, there's great companies out there with enormous balance sheets that are, they're not going to skip over this opportunity. I mean, by 2026, this is going to be a hundred billion dollar U.S. market, roughly 95 to 100, and um, that's a big market. And particularly when you're seeing some of the big, uh, the beer guys and the spirit guys struggling in some of the categories, this is a category that's taking share um, from them, and they need growth. You know, we all need growth. You know, if you're a public company, you trade on growth. So we offer that. I think uh, as we get more sophisticated investors, as we get a longer track record, uh, as we get, you know, we're reasonably unknown uh, because we're not in, we're not in New York, we're not in New Jersey, we're not in Illinois, and uh, I don't want to be in those states. To be candid with you, I think they're uh, they're great states, but I think there's a lot of capital chasing those states, and I really like where we are. I think we've got good population growth. Uh, I think we can we can certainly build <clears throat> build a really strong business here, and uh, we love New Mexico and Colorado and this region to the south. And I I'm happy operating here. Okay, well, like I, I guess that that story is going to run and run in terms of you know as more states adopt both medicinal and, and rack, which, which seems to be the growing case, and there's, there seems to be a lot of support um, in the house. For, for what you know, companies like yourself and what what you're doing and the space more broadly. So we'll we'll see where that goes. Um, and it feels it feels like a massive inflection point if it does if it does happen. But it's just that 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 waiting period. In the meantime, 
you studiously continue to um, you know look look out look after the uh, the uh, real estate that you've got and the footprint that you've got and make sure that it's that it's profitable. Um, you know, I, I understand that. So, in terms of your aspirations for you, you said right for Colorado, okay, it's it's all about the um, you know g- getting to hundred stores. Um, is that the only thing? What, what are the other kind of big levers for you in terms of um, trying to build the, the value proposition for your story? Well, I think I think with uh, let's just take Colorado. Colorado's roughly a two point two billion dollar uh, addressable market for cannabis. You know, we are we're one hundred twenty billion dollars in that state, roughly, and so that's six percent. I think I think we can certainly build a four to five hundred million dollar business with wholesale and with retail and branded products and services. I think that's very achievable for us over time and uh, continue to do what we're doing, being really disciplined around capital allocation, how we invest our CapEx, making sure we're getting good returns, making sure we're doing the right acquisition deals, continuing to broaden our product capabilities for wholesale and being able to offer that to the 630 stores that we don't own today on adult. I mean, that's a huge opportunity because we can really make life easier for them. If they want to stay independent and do their own thing, that's great. We, we can, we can uh, help them create value, lower their costs, make life easier for them to take care of those customers in towns where we're not and you know don't have an opportunity to be. Um, I think in New Mexico, I think we can build a couple hundred million dollar business down there. It's a $400 million dollar uh, total addressable market today, it's going to a billion. So I think we can easily build a market like that there with retail and wholesale. And, uh, and then, you, you know, then you've got other states out there as well. I mean, my, my, goal, my goal is build a great company uh, that's, that has, uh, that's, that's different, that has uh, real, has real um, energy behind it, that is innovative, that does the right thing. We're sticky with communities. We're doing the right things in our communities and just building something that's helping make the world a little better place. And I hate to say that, but honestly, that's what we talk about is, hey, let's make it better today. Let's make what we're doing better. Let's help our customers. Let's help our communities. And at the end of the day, when I go to sleep at night, I feel good about that. Can it be a billion dollar revenue company? Could it be a $2 billion revenue company? Could we buy somebody, merge with someone and have it be much bigger than that down the road? Yes. I mean, at Albertsons, we, you know, we bought a $10 billion business. We stripped it down, restructured it to $3 billion. And uh, that business, today, when I left, it was a $60 billion company. And, um, you know, I thought that was possible. So people sometimes think my my eyes are too big for my stomach, but sometimes they're... They're not big enough. So I think we can build something really special here. 